Thank you so much to all of our musicians leading us in worship today. We're so grateful for that. Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn to the book of Ephesians as we continue this study through this wonderful, wonderful book. And it is just a great uh, lesson in how to live the Christian life and how to live the Spirit-filled Christian life. And we're moving today into a section of the book that talks about the family. We're going to talk about uh, moms and dads and marriage and being a a child that honors uh, their father and their mother. We're going to talk about that over the next three weeks. But I want us to take uh, this section, I want us to read it. So let's stand together, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. You follow along as I read, let's stand, Ephesians chapter 5. And listen to this in its wholeness, if you would. Listen to it as I read Ephesians 5, 18 through 33. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. We've been on this several weeks, and it is important that we understand this is the context in which we can have the kind of marriages, homes, families, businesses, churches that we want and desire in our hearts to be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, you submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to the the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh. He nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm not talking about just the marriage. He says, I am referring, I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let me sum it up, Paul says, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, Father, we ask as we move into this passage of Scripture today, into this subject, you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. That you would use the Word to carve through some of the hardened, bitter areas of our heart that make home, our home life and our marriage lives difficult. Help us look in the mirror of your Word and walk away changed today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I enjoyed that uh, song. You know, the song we were just singing was about moving forward. And if you heard the, the chorus, it says, I'm not going where? I'm not going back. And uh, I'm glad to be up here this morning. I just want you to know we had the 5K yesterday that I've been talking about training for. 
I, I made it all, all the way to the finish line. I survived it. And uh, nobody, I, I thought it was kind of interesting. They said, before you race, if you run by someone that looks like they're in a lot of trouble, report it to the next person. Uh, the, the, the workers on the side of the road, and they'll help them when they get by. I just was glad I made it to the end. Nobody reported me. And said, help that guy in the back. So I must have looked like I was halfway enjoying it. It was great. And, and I've been talking about the fact that I've been listening to the headphones of this app called Couch to 5K. And I've been working that plan. And I was really only halfway through that plan. And now here's the temptation. Here's the temptation. Going back to the couch, right? I've done the race. What am I going to do tomorrow? Am I going to waste these five or six weeks? Or will I take advantage of it and build on it and move forward? You know, I've, I've, I've been involved in a lot of marriages. Been a lot, not, not personally, but I've done a lot of weddings. <laughs> been involved in one marriage, but I've done a lot of weddings. And, <laughs> and, and here's what I've seen people work really hard to, in premarital counseling, they've read the books, they've worked through the process, they've had this beautiful wedding, they've just spent all the money and done all the work, they get to that point. And then there's... And, and the Bible says you just can't relax on that. You can't. And this passage talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. But then as we've learned together, you have to be continually being filled. It's not time for me to hang up the headphones that are telling me to, to run. It's not, but more importantly, it is not time for me to relax and not listen for the Spirit's guidance every single day of my life in how to be a good pastor, how to be a good father, how to be a good husband. And so I need to be continually being filled and moving forward. And so this is a great text to help us do that. And let me, as, as you listened, and I hope you were listening to this passage of Scripture, several things bubbled up that you should be able to expect from a marriage with another believer. If there are two believers in that marriage, you should expect that that believer and you should be pursuing being continually being filled by the Holy Spirit. And then if you're doing that, it's gonna, it is going to bubble up several different things. You're, you're going to see it bubble up joy happiness it's going to bubble up a, a sense of praise and we heard that speaking melody in your heart it's going to bubble up thankfulness it's going to it's going to produce different things and then you it, it the, the the purpose of marriage also is to produce godly offspring there should be disciples coming out of these marriages and i know sometimes you know kids are going to do their own thing and you may have had prodigals and all sorts of things and that can occur you can do a great great job and still have uh, children that don't follow christ and we know that but but you should be preparing and creating the kind of home that helps produce a godly offspring and then we saw that your marriage and your marriage ought to create a beautiful picture of how Christ loves the church and how the church responds to Christ. But if we're really honest, a lot of times our homes and our marriages don't produce all of that. That's not what we get out of our marriages, this beautiful picture 
of submission, mutual submission, mutual sacrificial love, joy, and peace, all those things. I just know that's not always what you get, and it can be frustrating. And you have to ask yourself the question, why, why is this not what my marriage looks like? And I don't want you to walk out of here feeling guilty because everybody, if you're a human being living in this planet, you have great adversaries going after your marriage in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm that are, that are beating against it. It is a battle, but you can have a spirit-filled marriage. Amen? You can. And if those of you who are, who are single, you can have a spirit-filled marriage. And you begin preparing yourself in that process right now. But it's frustrating to sometimes not get what you think when, when you come to that point. You get married and you're thinking, Where, this is going to be great. I was, a really, really, I was at the Baptist Lake Yale camp uh, a few weeks ago. And I was really, I needed a Diet Coke. I needed a... You ever had that? You just had to have a, a Coke or a Pepsi? How many Pepsi people we got? I'm going to ask you to leave right now. If you would, just go ahead and go. I'm just kidding. I love Pepsi people, but I'm a Coke person. Atlanta people are Coke people. You know, if you lived any time there, uh, you couldn't drink Pepsi. They'd throw you out of Atlanta. But anyway, diet, uh, I, I just needed it. And so I went to three different machines. I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up for preaching purposes. I went to three different, I don't do that by the way, I went to three different machines, first machine, I took my dollar, I took my dollar and it said out of order. So I went to the next machine and I looked at it, it was unplugged, no electricity. And I'm thinking, our cooperative program dollars are not doing their job. Y'all probably don't understand that. If you're a Southern Baptist, we give to the cooperative program, they own Lake Yale, so stay. But so I went to two different machines, didn't get what the Coke machine was designed to give me. Then I went to the third one. I was really excited. It was plugged in, lights on, had no sign. I put my dollar in. I heard the thing fall, right? I heard it fall. Then, but this machine was kind of off beside the snack shack, up near some trees, and it was just kind of coated with dust, but it was working. I was thinking, man, I'm going to get, and I heard it fall. And then I went to retrieve it, and there was a bird's nest where you put your hand. It was dark, and there's a bird's nest of some sort. Some critter had built a nest in front of where my Diet Coke had fallen. And I decided I wasn't going to take a chance on that Coke, and I walked away. <laughs> I decided whoever's living there, I'm not going to disturb them. I did not want to stick my hand in there, and some of you are thinking I waste that 75 cents. No, I just decided I, I didn't need it that bad that I was going to fight the enemy and the invader of that Coke machine. Now, let me draw the analogy. Let me draw the analogy before we move into the script, scripture. What I've been talking about over the last few weeks is that to have the kind of joy and peace and sense of fulfillment, we have got to be plugged in. We've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons that your marriage and any of your relationships in particular may not be yielding the kind of things that you desire is you're simply not plugged in. You're not abiding in Christ. 
or the person that you're in relation to, it can be very difficult when you're married or dating an unbeliever or, or, or you're, you're struggling in that. It's, it's hard when you're plugged in and that person isn't. That's going to be a challenge, isn't it? The other reason that we'll see in this passage that a lot of marriages aren't working is because it's out of order. There's a particular function, a way that a marriage is to function, and this, this passage gives us that functioning order. There is a headship. There is a way that it works. And, 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 and we're, our culture is, is putting marriages and homes and sexuality and all the stuff that makes up marriage is putting it all in shambles. It will not, out of the order of God's Word, produce what you really desire most. And then the other thing is there is an enemy who wants to invade and occupy our marriages. And sometimes like that machine, our marriages are just not, we don't pay attention to them, we don't keep them up, we just kind of let the, the forest of this world overtake them and the critters of this world move in. And so we, we have to fight that battle. And so it's in that context. And, and don't feel like you're any different than the city of Ephesus. The same thing that Ephesus, these folks were fighting, are the same things you and I are fighting in our life and in our culture. And so the, what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks that Paul is telling them, it's so applicable and relevant to our day and to our marriages. And we'll see that as we walk through it. But I just want to start by just saying, basically, you can have that kind of marriage, but it is a marriage that's got to be plugged in, yielded to the Holy Spirit. It is a marriage that needs to be operating according to the design of, of, of the, the designer of the marriage. And, and, and so God has given us the design, and if we refuse to follow His design, it's not going to produce what we are hungry and thirsty for, that joy. And then if we just don't work at it, keep it up. Maintain it on a daily and weekly basis. The critters will move in. So let that set the context as we look at this wonderful passage of Scripture. And the way that we are to have these kind of spirit-filled homes and spirit-filled marriages, I think we can see as we walk through this passage. And I want to pull out a couple today. I'm not going to get to all of it, but I want us to see, first of all, that, that we must, if we're going to have spirit-filled homes, spirit-filled marriages, we must continuously pursue an atmosphere, a particular atmosphere for that kind of spirit-filled marriage. My wife's good about atmosphere. You know, she's good at, you know, we have bowls of, of, of potpourri. Anybody got potpourri in their house? Don't you like that? You know, don't you like to come home and it smells good? You know, and it's clean, all those kind of things. I kind of like that. I like that. So she does good at creating an atmosphere. Well, we can do that in a, in a spiritual sense. We must do that in a spiritual sense. Look at the atmosphere he talks about when we are plugged in, when we are filled with the Spirit. You'll notice in verse 19 and 20, there's going to be an atmosphere of praise. There's going to be an atmosphere of thanksgiving. 
It is just going to be bubbling up in the music, in the sounds, in the conversations. It is going to, it's going to begin to fill the relationship, fill the home, fill the conversations. This is the inevitable result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But there's also another side of the coin. It, it, as, as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, as we are in awe of Christ and what He has done for us, and we be, are yielded to His Holy Spirit, we can't help but be thankful. We can't help but be appreciative. We can't help but find the best in our mates. We can't, we can't help that. It is the fruit of of the Spirit. You notice in this passage that loving communication is a characteristic of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And then we get to the end of this in verse 21, 21 and it says there is also an atmosphere of submission. When you are thankful and you are grateful and you are yielded to the Holy Spirit, you are going to look at that mate not as someone who is there to serve you and your purposes and your wants and desires. You're going to look at that mate and if you're driven by the Holy Spirit, you're going to see them as the object of your service. As someone whose needs you desire to meet because that is the Spirit of Christ. Christ did not come to seek and to use people. He came to seek and to save and to serve and the Spirit of Christ will guide you into that kind of heart towards your mate. And that atmosphere is something we should pursue and if we don't, notice, we will turn to other things to create an atmosphere of love. And we do this and there's nothing wrong with with, with all of the wonderful things sometimes we'll do to create atmosphere. You're trying to create a romantic atmosphere. Let me just give you some ideas. You ready? Romantic atmosphere. And I'm the world's worst at this. Not a bad idea. Put on some nice music. Create the lighting. Candles. Nice meal. Right? You been there? In fact, you pay to go out. You pay a lot of money to go to restaurants that create an atmosphere. Y'all are looking embarrassed. Do y'all not do this with your husbands and wives? We can talk about this. We create an atmosphere of love. We create an atmosphere of care. And we dress up. And we smell good. All of these kind of things to have a good marriage. But if we're unplugged from the Holy Spirit, no amount of fine dining will do you a bit of good. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you can put the largest diamond ring on her and it will last for only a few weeks. Without the filling of the Holy Spirit, you can buy all the toys, all the boats, all the vacation homes. You can acquire all the things of this world and you can stuff it into the Coke machine. You can stuff it into the marriage and it will not produce what you desperately want and desperately desire a servant-hearted, submissive, need-meeting love, selfless love. But you see, the world pursues it, don't they? Do you notice what the Apostle Paul points out that this culture in Ephesus would turn to a lot to try to produce the ecstasy and the excitement 
and the thrill that they were seeking, it says, do not be what? Drunk with wine. Now, wine was a, uh, and, and alcohol was the elixir of its day. They worshiped Dionysius, the god of the vine. They had huge temples full of temple prostitutes flowing, flowing with wine. And he says, you, you Ephesians, are, you know what I'm talking about. As pagan Greeks, as pagan Romans, you would rush to these temples. And, and, and Dionysius started a religion. And basically the religion of Dionysus, uh, Dionysus was, was ecstasy in the Greek. Ecstasy, enthusiasm. It was that desire to have that feeling, that good feeling of love. And the way that they achieved it was to take and put alcohol in their bodies. And you see the same worship of feelings in our culture, don't you? And we're stuffing things in and buying things and acquiring things, trying to find the ecstasy we're missing because we're out of that, that perfect relationship with God and that perfect relationship with our mates. And so we pursue it. And you can fill yourself with wine. You can fill yourself with all of these things. And Paul says, don't do that. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and the kind of joy and happiness you so desperately desire comes from that. And so he says, be filled. And when you are, what, what comes out and what you enjoy as a, in a spirit-filled marriage or relationship is not just the praise and not just the atmosphere, but an atmosphere of mutual submission. Now, if you look at verse 21, you'll notice there's a verb there, submit. And the verb hupotasso means to fall in order and fall in line. It's a military term. In the military, you folks that have been in the military, you know when the, when the commanding officer or a superior officer comes by, you stand to attention and you salute. That's why I have Sarah salute me. Every time I come by her in the home, she stands. That, but anyway, no, that's not what this is talking about. Hupotasa was a military term, and I'm not asking any of you to salute. What I am asking you to do is when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are looking to serve. You are bent on serve. And verse 21 is not to the marriage yet. That is in the church. That is in the body of Christ. A spirit-filled church is a church full of people looking how they can accommodate and meet the needs of their neighbor. That is the spirit that pervades a spirit-filled church. And so you don't walk in spirit-filled into a church to see, well, I sure hope, I sure hope that they meet my needs today. I'm so sick of them not meeting my needs. I may go down the street to another church and see if they'll meet my needs. A spirit-filled person comes in and says, I am so grateful that God met my need. I'm looking for somebody whose need I can meet. And the, the pervasive spirit is that. Now, if all of us are filled with the Holy Spirit and looking to see how can we meet 
the needs. I'm a servant. That's the Spirit of Christ in me. How can I meet the needs of others? Well, it's interesting that out of this verse 21, Paul feels it's necessary to get specific. Now, let me pause and tell you why I'm I'm thinking this way. I would think if just all we did was pursue being yielded and filled with the Holy Spirit, I would think that we wouldn't have to get specific, that we would automatically we would automatically serve everybody, and he wouldn't need to talk about wives serving their husbands, husbands serving their wives, children serving their parents. He wouldn't have to get specific. Employers and serving their employees. He wouldn't have to get specific. Why does he have to get specific? <laughs> well, the reason that he has to get specific is that we are continually being assaulted by adversaries of a spirit-filled marriage, a spirit-filled life, a spirit-filled home. The reason he has to get specific is just is the same reason that the verb be filled is a continual verb. You're going to have to continually be yielding your heart and your life to to Christ on a daily basis. Even though you're a Christian and you have salvation, you continually pursue that feeling because every day you wake up, you're going to face adversaries to a spirit-filled life, a spirit-filled marriage. Let me just show you why he begins with the, the wives and the husbands. Because at the core of our problems as human beings, at the the very core are the relational issues that uh, came about through the sin of Adam and Eve. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and we can see the birth of our problems. Now I've preached on this many times, but this bears repeating over and over and over again because we forget this and we live in in failure because we forget uh, the curse of Eden. We forget the challenges, the corrupting effects of sin. Notice what happens. If you, you remember the story, Eve listens to the serpent. The serpent deceives her. She however is looking for something that opens her up for being deceived. She's looking She's tired of being told that that fruit is not for her, that tree. She's deciding, I'm tired of being put into this mold. I'm going to liberate myself from from God's word, and I'm just going to look at it. And she began to look at it. And the serpent came and encouraged what was already going on in her heart. The devil didn't make her do it. The devil didn't make you do it. But he comes along to deceive and he leads her and deceives her and she takes the fruit. I believe Adam is passively yielding to this, passively watching his wife be deceived instead of protecting her and reminding her of God's word 
and serving her. He stopped serving her by not leading her and allowed her to fall. I think he's saying, I wonder what's going to happen when she eats that. His passivity and her desire to come out from under led to destruction, led to sin. And he took the fruit as well. And there came into our lives a curse. It's the natural fruit. I don't want you to picture like a witch brewing a curse. This is the natural result of of what God said would occur when we fall and when we sin. He says in verse 15, I will put enmity, serpent. He's talking to the serpent. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Not only is that talking about the fact that Christ would be crucified and would crush the head of Satan, and we know that's what it's referring to, but he's also saying that in life, all the daughters of Eve, and by the daughters and sons of Eve, that's all of us, would face an everyday battle with the demons of the devil and also those who are not of Christ and are being influenced by the world system and by the demonic, that there would be a continual daily battle because of the curse of Eden. And not only is that battle continuing, but look at verse 16 in Genesis 3. God said to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And right there you see sort of the, 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 the beginnings of the struggles that we face every single day. As she came out from under his leadership and God's leadership and, and took of the fruit, part of what will be the continual battle for you ladies, and it says your desire shall be for your husband. What does that mean, desire? The desire is not, I believe, the physical desire, but I think it's the same word. The next time this word desire is used is in chapter 4 when Cain, remember the story of Cain and Abel? God came and warned Cain before he killed Abel. He said, Cain, be careful. Sin is crouching at your door. And sin wants, it desires you. The sin desires to overwhelm you and master you and control you. And I think part of the curse is that, is, is that in our fallen nature, we want to be out of order. And, 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 and it's in the hearts of, of all of us to dominate and control the other. And we're going to continually battle that. And and ladies, you are going to want to dominate the one who God has said should be the leader and the servant in your life. And you're going to want, it's just going to be something you'll have to fight. You're going to want to dominate and control the one that God has given to serve and respect and honor and love you and care for you. And then it says, men, you're going to have the same problem. You're going to want to dominate and control the one you are meant to love and serve as if she were your own 
flesh. And you are, to, you are to die for that person, not dominate that person. And so there began the battle of the sexes. That's where it began. So you're there. We face this challenge. And we're wounded. He says that uh, uh, our enemy has wounded our heel. He's not just talking about Christ being wounded by Satan. I think also all of us as men, husbands, all of us as wives, women, all, all of us limp into marriage with an Achilles heel. We limp in. We're, we, we limp in with the, the remaining scars and struggles of the curse. And so we have to fight that. We are our own worst enemies, often, in the marriages. But we are facing the great spiritual enemies as well. Now what happens? What happens when men and women are dealing with this desire to dominate one another, but they don't know Jesus, or they don't have the control and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in their life? Well, what you end up with is a constant cultural war, century after century after century, between men and women. And you see it, don't you? There's a constant swinging of a pendulum, and I don't have time to walk through all the historical swings of this pendulum, where you see the men seeking to dominate and demean and control the women. And then you see, even in the Roman Empire, and we may talk about this a little bit next week, you saw in the Roman and the Greek empires the, the women uh, uh, rightly, rightly going against that dominating uh, controlling desire of the men and, and, and forcing the pendulum back. But the problem is, because of the sin curse, the, the liberation movement of women go way too far, right? They go way out beyond. And then the men, what do they do? They push back and they dominate and control. And you end up with this billion, billion, billion dollar pornography industry. Vastly, mostly men. What are they doing through pornography? They're controlling women. They're controlling through a computer who they cannot control in person. It, it's the same sin curse. And we battle that. And it leads to a corruption in the culture where you see what we're seeing in our culture today where we're so terribly confused and out of order. And the boyfriend says, I know the preacher says this is out of order, but I want to have sex with you now before we're married. I know the Bible says that's out of order. But I want it. The wife says, I know, or the, the girlfriend says, you know, I can't get him to marry me. And I know it's a little bit out of order. I know what God's word says. Maybe he'll just live with me. 
to begin with. I know that's not the way it's supposed to be. I know that's not what God's word says. I know that's not right, but I'm just going to go a little out of order. When it's out of order, it will never bring the results, the joy, the fulfillment that you desire. And so you see the battle of the sexes even in the things that permeate the church. Sex outside of marriage. Living together before marriage. I'm not here to judge you this morning. I'm here to show you if it's out of order, don't expect to get what your heart so desperately desires. The only hope for marriage, the only hope for the fulfillment, the only hope for the real thing. I love that, you know, Coke's slogan. It's the real thing. The only hope for the real thing. Plugged in. In order. The only hope for our marriages and our homes and our relationships is being fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. Believers, you need this. Being empowered by the Holy Spirit and being obedient to His design for marriage. Being obedient to the Word of God. You've come so far. Why? Why, why stop now? Why go back? Why not just say, all right, here I am. I don't, I made mistakes at this point, but from here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to seek to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And, I, and if Jesus says this is the order of things, I'm going to follow his order. I'm going to trust him. And every day I'm going to make sure I wake up and I'm going to check the plug. And every day I'm going to make sure I'm a person yielded to serve others, including my spouse. And I'm going to make sure I haven't let any critters move in overnight. I'm going to get them out.